I'm Duncan McNichol. And I'm Dominic Norberg. And this is an episode of Not Exactly Rocket Science. So yeah, Not Exactly Rocket Science is um, our podcast, and it's about things that aren't exactly rocket science, uh, on the basis that, you know, if things were exactly rocket science, we'd probably understand them better. Um, I'm a physicist and a chemist. And I'm not a physicist or a chemist. Uh, Instead, I know more about electrical engineering and image processing. Which um, is is helpful in the understanding of things like rocket science, um, but not hugely helpful in understanding things like biology, uh, medicine, social science, um, basically the things that the institute that we work in is good at producing. Um, So that that institute is the Queen's Medical Research Institute. It's in Edinburgh. The premise of the podcast is that we don't really understand what people um, who work in the same building as us talk uh, about. Um, but we try, uh, because if you try and if you talk to the person um, and you can have a bit of back and forth, then you can quite often understand things that you wouldn't understand otherwise. In this episode, uh, we're going to talk to Elaine Jerzak. I think it's Jerzak. It's got two Zs in it. It's a cool name, but I'm not 100% sure how to pronounce it. I also don't really know what she does. Um, but that's probably a good moment for her to explain how to pronounce a name and yeah, just and what, what she does. does. Yeah. I'm Elaine Jerzak. I'm a researcher in hematologic regeneration. Okay. Um, I s- became a professor here when I moved here in 2013. Um, before that, yeah, I had been doing research pretty much all my life when I decided what it is that I wanted to do. Well. So. I I, um, I envy that. I have to say, I've I've oh, I'm I'm only a PhD student, and I've already come a quite windy route to get here. Um, so yeah, the idea of, of knowing what you want to do uh, is is incredible. <laughs> well, I must say, it was a windy route to oh, get okay. to the PhD. Ah, yeah, okay. 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 But once I got to the PhD, um, well, still even after that, it was a little windy. But it was clear in the end that I really had a talent and. Uh, an interest in research. So that kept me going all these years. And I'm one of the lucky few who actually could make a lifelong career out of it. It's not an easy route to take, especially these days when funding is so short and difficult to obtain. So generally, despite reading on the news that you have like, oh, this, this state wants to put so much money into research and, oh, we need research to keep up on the, I don't know, the global market that's more and more high-tech and so on, the reality is that it's actually more difficult. Yeah, the reality is that it's more difficult. I think governments are relying on industry to kind of pick up a lot of the research tab. But the the issue is, is that fundamental research is what feeds the industrial pipeline. And if governments don't continue to support fundamental research and support their universities and this community of uh, really knowledgeable people to actually continue on uh, moving that knowledge and expertise to the next generation, we're going to lose out on the fundamental research that feeds any kind of progress. So... Um, yeah, it is a difficult career to pursue in light of this, despite what you hear on the news. Fair enough, fair enough. Um, so, uh, going back to what it is that you actually do, mm-hmm. I, 
shamefully have already forgotten the words. It's because I don't know the words. Uh, hematological and then is one of them. Was it regeneration? Regeneration. Regeneration. Yes. Okay. Yeah. yeah. That's the title of my <laughs> chair. Um, what I really do, if you'd like to hear about that, is that um, my interest, well, it started out in immunology and it grew to actually the whole hematopoietic system and then more specifically to hematopoietic stem cells. Now, uh, hematopoietic stem cells uh, and the transplantation of those cells mm -hmm. is a curative therapy for blood-related disorders, okay. genetic disease, and leukemia. So it's those stem cells that are really, really critical if you're going to do these kind of, you know, uh, therapies for people with severe blood disorders. Now, like leukemia, like leukemia, yeah, yeah. a sickle cell anemia, thalassemia, uh, also immune deficiency diseases, things like that. Okay. okay, so my interest was in a kind of therapy a cell therapy uh, with hematopoietic stem cells. Now, cell therapy with hematopoietic stem cells relies on you having a lot of stem cells to do these kinds of treatments or to actually even do fundamental research. Yet these cells are in very limiting numbers in you know, the, the, the body of a human. Yeah. They reside in the bone marrow. You have a few thousand of them. And the, yeah, the surprising part of it is, is that my research, which focuses on the embryonic development of these stem cells shows that they're only made. And a lot of people in the field have, have worked on this and have shown that these stem cells are only made during a short window of developmental time, which means when you're a human embryo uh, developing in the womb of your mother, you're making the stem cells that will sustain your adult blood system. Uh, you're making them between week four and week eight of gestation. And then after that, the process stops. That's it. That's it. So we do these studies in mouse embryos. And the time that these hematopoietic stem cells are made, um, the gestation period of a mouse is 18 to 21 days. And this process occurs at uh, day 10 and a half to about day 12 and a half in a mouse embryo. So we study mouse embryos. And my work has focused since actually 1989. I've been in this field a long, long time. Um, We've focused on a particular region of the mouse embryo, the dorsal aorta, in its development. And we've made seminal discoveries there that... Sorry, the dorsal aorta. The dors dorsal aorta. This is the main vessel that runs centrally through uh, most uh, vertebrates, yeah? Okay. Okay, so the dorsal aorta. So we have one as well. Yeah, you have one. You have a okay. huge. It's it's the major artery that runs blood from your heart through to your body. Yeah, okay. so it is it is a major blood vessel through which blood circulates. Now this vessel, when it's being made in an embryo, it has cells that line it called endothelial cells. Now, these endothelial cells are very special because not only do they line the vessel, making it kind of patent so that blood can circulate through it without leaking. Okay, stop. Elaine just used a word that I don't understand. Uh, she said that the cells keep the blood vessel patent. 
Um, as ever, when we don't know uh, what a word means, we, uh, we've we actually gone to a colleague of ours. This time it's Adam, who's a, a actual doctor, and uh, he's going to explain what we mean when we say patent in this sense. Well, to me, patent is unobstructed. Unobstructed? Yeah. Ah, okay. Open. Open. Ah, so, yeah. so you could, if you were talking about the cells that are provide structure to a blood vessel yeah so patent could so if something was no longer patent it could be because it's occluded from the inside so maybe something is adhered to the surface and blocked off or it could mean there's something on the outside is extrinsically compressing it oh, okay. or it has lost its its um its natural structure so it's become floppy and no longer right. patent. So, so that's what patent means to me okay that makes a lot more sense now Time to go back to Elaine. Some of those endothelial cells actually make hematopoietic stem cells. Mm. So they go through a really, really remarkable cell transdifferentiation event where they start out life as a flat endothelial cell lining a blood vessel doing that kind of function. And at some point, at day 10 and a half in a mouse embryo, for instance, or week four in a human embryo, this aortic endothelial cell will change its transcriptional program and start reducing the levels of the endothelial-specific genes in that program, and they will increase and turn on hematopoietic-specific genes. And that cell then undergoes a transition from a round flat endothelial cell, or from a flat endothelial cell to a round hematopoietic cell. And do they then start to detach from? So, yes. So this happens in the mouse embryo at day 10 and a half. And you have about 700 of these cells along the dorsal aorta, and they're in clusters. We can actually visually see them under a microscope, and we can actually see this process happening because we were the first to do live imaging of a mouse aorta at this time in development. So you could see these cells emerging from the endothelium. There's about 700 of them at that time. I, I must say, even just still hearing a number like 700, we've talked to in, in, in other interviews, we've had like, oh yeah, there are a few hundred million of these and there are a few billion of those. And then you're like, 700. That's, that sounds very fragile as well. Mm. It is fragile, but it's a very robust system. And these stem cells are really, really robust. But they're not 700 stem cells. There's only one to two out of those 700 cells, that's a stem cell. And the only way you can measure a true hematopoietic stem cell is by doing an in vivo transplantation of those cells into a mouse that has been depleted of its own hematopoietic stem cells. So this is what happens in a bone marrow transplant in a clinical setting. All of the stem cells will be uh, depleted in that patient, and donor stem cells will be injected. Umbilical cord blood stem cells or bone marrow stem cells or even their own stem cells that have been taken prior to the depletion event. Okay? So... These stem cells are extremely robust. They will give rise to a complete adult hematopoietic system, and it will be lasting for the lifespan after that transplantation. So the very, very robust. When, when you say that it will give rise to a complete hematopoietic cell system, so that's 
all of the cells that I have in my blood system at the moment, including the stem cells that I have in my blood at the moment? Yeah, they, well, they. it's difficult to say what happens with that. Let's say you've got one single stem cell. Yeah. Most of the time, transplantations involve a number of okay. stem cells, hundreds or thousands. We don't know. You can't do that experiment yeah. in a human setting, but you can do the experiment in a mouse, and it's called a limiting dilution hematopoietic stem cell transplantation. So you can give one stem cell and get potent repopulation uh, wow. of the animal. Hmm. Um, it... It might not be 100% because, you know, it, sometimes it's uh, a little difficult. You're on the verge of, of you know, uh, having lethal effects from other things that okay. happen in the, the test animal because of the transplantation, which is, you know, the, you, yeah, you have to do this treatment and it is pretty harsh. So it's a robust type of cell. Um, and we want to know more about it. And so our work focuses on how those cells are made, how those stem cells are made. What is the particular genetic program that allows them to become a hematopoietic stem cell versus one of those other 699 or 98 cells that are in the cluster in the aorta? Are those abortive events for making stem cells or are those cells, hematopoietic progenitors that are short-lived and, and making a kind of embryonic blood system. We don't know. And so we would like to be able to actually get the full transcriptome of those one or two stem cells as they're being made in the embryo. Well, that's, that's like, that's a needle in the haystack, isn't it? It is. How do you find a needle in a haystack? Well, if it's magnetic. magnetic. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You have a technology to get it. Okay. So it is about having a very sensitive technology mm -hmm. to get to this. Now, for a hematopoietic stem cell, the only way that we could tell it's a hematopoietic stem cell is to actually analyze its function by doing a transplantation. But immediately, if you're transplanting that cell to do a functional repopulation mm -hmm. uh, experiment after transplantation into a recipient animal, you find that you don't have that cell anymore. So you can't look, even if the technology allows you to do single cell transcriptome profiling, that single cell is, now is gone. System. It's functioning as a stem cell. So you can't use these two assays in the same single cell. So that's our limit. So what people do is they do populations of cells, you know, enrich for them as a population that looks like stem cells, but contains hematopoietic progenitors as well. So they're not fully potent, fully robust. So you could also sort those cells, deposit them in single cells as single cells and do single cell transcriptomics. But then you get a hundred transcriptome profiles. And again, you know that maybe one out of uh, 50 of those cells is a hematopoietic stem cell. But which transcriptome is it? Yeah, they're um, all very similar, but which one is so, the so, one? so it's not as if one of them kind of looks like different. They all 
are similarly different to each other. They all have similar differences. You don't know what's noise from what's an actual profile because the the genome, you know, as it's being transcribed, is dynamic. And this is another recent study of ours. We found that one of the pivotal transcription factors that is really important in hematopoietic stem cell generation, GATA2, it actually pulsates in its expression during this period of endothelial to hematopoietic transition, transdifferentiation. So if this one transcription factor is going up and down, where in that cycle is the right level? Now, you can propose this isn't the only factor, and we know it. There's another transcription, RUNX1. Does RUNX1 also pulsate? Um, and there are five other factors that we know are very important in this process. What if you have seven factors that are being expressed? They're all being expressed dynamically and changing levels. Okay, what do you do then? You have a kind of Las Vegas odds that you're going to get out of those seven transcription factors at a certain uh, odds, one of them getting the right level at the right time to become a stem cell rather than a progenitor or another type of hematopoietic. So by the sounds of it, every time you open a new door with a new result, it's like you haven't reached your goal. You're actually just getting more and more questions, really. Yes, but we're getting closer to what it is. How do you know that? Like, I, I just <laughs> yeah, be, I'd just be interested in. I, so, so um, we're in Elaine's office here, and there's a nice wooden table. So, I think, how often do you bang your head head on this? Because you think, like, okay, now I'm now I'm getting closer, and then you realize, oh my goodness, this thing is this this expression is pulsating, and you're like. How, how do you know that you're getting closer to the, the full picture of what you're looking at? Well, part of it is, is that, you know, you start with a hypothesis and you try to do experiments that will lead you in the direction that, okay, uh, you'll get an answer whether your hypothesis is true or not. And We've done experiments now with this hypothesis that we have in mind about this odds of seven transcription factors working at a certain uh, dynamic uh, level. Um, we've done experiments that actually have given us some evidence that this might be true. Okay, So these are entirely uh, pleasing to us, but we still haven't proved this. Um, we need to do modifications, you see. So once you get some supportive data, mm -hmm. you have to go one step further and actually show that the system is working like you think it does. So you have to stop the pulsatile behavior of one of the factors. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And if you stop it, then maybe you get a completely different readout. Your stem cells aren't being made anymore. Or maybe if you get just the right amount, you're going to increase the number of stem cells being made. Okay. So it's like uh, your your um, transcription factors are like getting all the stars aligned in the right way, and exactly. only when they're kind of overlapping at a certain concentration mm -hmm. or expression level, mm -hmm. that's the moment that it happens for yeah. one cell. And, yeah. and so that's why there's one or two stem cells in those 700 
Right. Okay. Because if you take, you know, seven to the third, yeah, you get a number like 350. And if so we cold. have 700 <laughs> cells and two of them are HSCs, it fits. Now, okay, that's my hypothesis. It's a cool hypothesis. And it is um, based on a lot of data that we've accumulated over a lot of years. And at some point it starts clicking and you say, okay, how can this actually work? And yeah, and, and through talking to colleagues who do a lot of single cell transcriptomic work um, and thinking about how the field has moved along, this seems to be a very, very plausible idea. It's, you know, like you go to Las Vegas, you're playing the slot machines, and it's getting all those fruit aligned just yeah. right to win the jackpot. And the stem cell is the jackpot here. And, and you're basically wake, working on not just pulling, pulling the arm on that machine. You're working on how can I, how, how can you individually change those, um, Every, the, the, those, yeah. those different roles coming up, those different yeah. fruits coming up. Yeah. And yeah. So every time you change every... one of those variables and fix it in the right place, you have one less to worry about, and your odds of getting what you want get closer and closer. So we're going to pick at it one at a time, and hopefully we get to the point where we're able to understand what the genetic program is, what levels of factors we need, so that we can actually make these cells. So, so, so you're basically working on two things then, or your, your primary goal first was work on the stem cells, and then you realized I can't work on them until I figured out how they are made. So you had to take a step back yes. from yeah. what you originally wanted to work on. Yeah. Well, I, I knew at the beginning that stem cells were difficult to, to, to deal with, to handle. They're, it's not just me. I mean, over you know 50 years since we knew that there were stem cells for the blood, people have tried to grow them in culture, expand them, and now with reprogramming, try to make them from non-hematopoietic cells. Now, none of those approaches have really succeeded. So it was very much at the start, uh, you know, when I started in 1989 that I realized this. This is how I started my lab. I had this question, this burning question, how are those stem cells made? We can't grow them in culture. We can't expand them. You know, can we make them from a non-hematopoietic cell? Where do they come from in the first place? How do they develop in the embryo? Because that's where they're being made. Uh, so all these questions came to me when I was finishing my postdoctoral fellowship, trying to think of what is the question that's going to uh, be my guide through my scientific research career. And this has sustained me, my research group, and for years and years and years. So... If, if I were to give advice to uh, young people looking for a career in research, and I give this advice to people in my lab all the time, uh, is to think of a very interesting biological question that you can address that nobody else, well, very few people are addressing at the moment, that... Um, you can you can find a way to make a contribution so that you can answer your question. And if it is a question that is of interest uh, to a broad range of people, like fundamental research scientists, developmental biologists, molecular biologists, 
uh, translational research people or even, you know, at the clinical level, then, okay, you've kind of, uh, you've got the interest of a lot of people mm-hmm. and you've got a really important question to go after. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. I see that. That makes me quite excited about the idea of going into a proper scientific career. That that was yeah. <laughs> I don't really know where to go from there. Um, yeah, uh, we could we could stop. Um, oh, good. If, We're yeah, if done. You, if you have anything else to say. Um, so one of the two of us uh, will try to uh, describe what it is that you do. Um, just to see if we've understood, because that's the idea of the podcast. Okay. So if we haven't, that's no reflection on you. It's uh-huh. all us. Okay. Okay. So um, as far as I understand it, um, you are, you're looking at um, hematopoietic hematopoietic stem cells. I can't even remember the word. Well, there's different British and American ah, okay. ways to say it. So uh, don't worry. Okay. Um, so stem cells in the blood yes um and uh the reason that you're looking at them is because they're um, potentially very important um and because they're just frankly interesting because there aren't very many of them um and you're specifically looking at how they develop um which happens in this tiny window um as an embryo uh they develop from um some other kind of cell in the in the um wall of the the blood vessel um and uh your your sort of overriding hypothesis is that there are what I think of as seven sort of sliders, um, seven seven transcript uh, factors, transcription factors. Yep, um, and they they have to be just right for it to turn out as a stem cell. And so you're looking at those and trying to work out where they each should be set to get a stem cell, so that we can get lots of stem cells, so that we can then do some good stem cell science. Yes. Yes. Very good. Excellent. Yeah. Wow. I'm really pleased. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. um, Thank you. This has been fun. Well, thank you. Um, Yeah. Been a great guest. Well, that was interesting. Pretty good stuff. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, I mean, so interesting, partly from the point of view of, of, you know, what Elaine was talking about in terms of her research, um, which was cool. Um, Stem cells are one of those things that I sort of know in the back of my head that's like a, an important thing and you know like there are various people who are working on them and trying to do cool stuff with them um but just to get into some more actual details some real detail about them rather than the stuff that you see in the news um was, was quite cool yeah um, exactly yeah sorry go on i know i was just going to say but on, on top of that i think the thing that really struck me and i think it really struck both of us was um was that sort of last thing that elaine said before before we did the sum up of about um you know what drives her and what what should drive people and how as much as anything how science operates um how good science operates exactly that yeah. is the distinction that yeah. i failed to make there but yes no how good science operates um because i think it's you know it's a job like any other job and some people are just sort of you know mechanically going through the drudgery of it but like not only did does elaine love what she does but she's so keen for for other people to as well, you know, and to like really engage with it. Um, and I think she really she just summed it up so well, um, which was why we suddenly became mute for, for several <laughs> seconds. Um, was just because I mean, certainly from my part, I, I I don't think I'd heard anyone express it. It's, quite it's so just clearly. really it's 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 a brilliant example of not having much to add. You know, it's like exactly okay, yeah. Sadly, that's that's us for another uh, another episode. Thank you very much for listening to us. Um, we appreciate people actually 
listening to what we say. Um, we also appreciate feedback. Yep, absolutely. Um, you can email us. We're at Duncan at NotExactlyRocketScience.fm or Dominic at NotExactlyRocketScience.fm. You can also um, visit our website. It's NotExactlyRocketScience.fm. The way that I said that was not clear enough. In most podcast apps, you should just be able to find a link to our website. It's, it's in the podcast feed, so you should be able to find it. Let us know what you think. Keep on listening. Uh, tell other people. You know, If you enjoyed it and you think someone else might enjoy it, you know, just tell them about it. Yeah, we're bad at this. <laughs> bad ending a podcast. <laughs>